Welcome to the Tech Suite, your go-to source for the latest legal updates on the fastest moving sector, brought to you by Minter Ellison Rod Watts. I'm your host, Tom Marsland, a partner in our technology team here, and I'm again with Jeremy Muir, a partner in our financial services team. Today we're delving into part two of our podcast, Tokens of Our Affection. If you've missed part one, in which Jeremy gives us an introduction to the world of digital assets, you can find it in our show library. In this part two, we're looking at what businesses might want to consider if they're looking at interacting with those digital assets. Before we begin, please note that nothing we're discussing today is legal advice. So after you put the fun and fungibles in part one of this podcast, we've all got a good understanding of what we're talking about when we mention digital assets. But what we're looking to really do today is to discuss how they can actually be used in the New Zealand context. How are we going to treat businesses that want to interact with digital assets in New Zealand? Today we're going to talk really about businesses that want to work in the digital asset space, whether it's in the traditional crypto space, so setting up exchange businesses or uh, fiat on-ramps, so where you can buy crypto or do all of those sort of financial transactions, or whether you're a business that wants to create digital assets such as non-fungible tokens or NFTs like we talked about last time. Any real interaction with this world, there are certain things in the legal landscape you need to consider. And it's not just New Zealand as well. The great thing about this technology is that it can go global very easily. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the law uh, doesn't really work like that, or rather the law of every country is different. And if you have customers in multiple places, then you may need to consider the financial services or crypto specific regimes in those countries, Mm -hmm. even if you're based in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about New Zealand, but it may not be the only thing you need to consider. Okay, well, let's at least start there. What talk us about the New Zealand legislation? What what laws do we have? Or are there many laws? What laws do we have in New Zealand specifically on this topic? Basically, there's very little law in New Zealand specifically on digital assets, almost nothing in fact. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of mentions of crypto assets in tax legislation now for the purposes of turning off um, GST for certain transactions. Mm -hmm. But everywhere else, um, most of our legislation is what you would call technology agnostic. It doesn't refer to crypto or digital assets, but we still need to think about how it works. Mm -hmm. Specifically, our our first starting point with most issues where you're dealing with some form of coin or token is to look at our financial markets legislation, so specifically the Financial Markets Conduct Act. And the issue starts with a consideration of whether the coin or token is a financial product or a financial advice product. Mm. Financial products are what we in New Zealand regulate under our financial laws most closely and most heavily. It's what in other jurisdictions, particularly the US, people talk about securities. Is is a coin a security? Mm. In New Zealand, we, we regulate financial products and then financial advice products are the types of products that we our financial advice laws apply to. So let's start with financial products. Under our legislation, there are four categories of financial product, and they're all relatively clearly defined. Mm-hmm. So equity securities, shares in a company, yep. debt securities, some kind of deposit or right to be repaid money with or without interest, uh, derivatives, which is where you get paid a stream of payments based on the change in value or movement of some underlying thing, swaps, options, all of that kind of good stuff. Mm. 
and then the broad category of managed investment products, which is really interest in a fund or interest in some sort of pooled scheme. So those categories are relatively tightly defined. The alternative way of dealing with this, which is how our law used to work under the old Securities Act, and it's the way that the US, for example, still works, is that you have a very broad definition of something like a security, which captures almost anything, and then you rely on exemptions and court cases to try and figure out what's in and out. In New Zealand, we still have some aspect of that. We do actually have under our Financial Markets Conduct Act a residual category, somewhat unhelpfully called a security, hmm. because it's not what we regulate. So if you said that to an American lawyer or something, they would go, ah, it's a security. It's, it's regulated. For us, the, the residual category is kind of anything that you might invest in and that looks like one of the financial product categories but falls outside the definitions. And if you fall into that category, then the Financial Markets Authority has a designation power where it can call in the product and cl classify it into one of the categories of financial product. Mm. What does this mean for sort of crypto and tokens? Basically, most crypto particularly things like classic crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, are not financial products because they don't fall within one of those four categories I mentioned. They probably are securities in that broad residual category, so they could be called in by the FMA. Mm. But the FMA doesn't exercise that power regularly. In fact, it's really never done so, and it could only do so with consultation and not retrospectively. So in New Zealand, we can usually, as lawyers, look at a coin or a token and form a pretty clear view as to whether it's a regulated financial product. Then I mentioned financial advice products. Mm -hmm. Financial advice products are those four categories of financial product, plus consumer credit contracts, so mm -hmm. home mortgages effectively, and also insurance. So that's relevant for whether you're caught by our advice laws, if you're sort of sh giving advice on whether someone should buy or sell a product, it will only apply if it is a financial product or one of those other two categories. So where this leaves us is that a lot of the crypto coin token world mm. falls outside those key definitions of financial product. And it's that financial product and financial advice product definition which triggers things like the need for licensing of a financial products market. Mm. So if you have an exchange where people can buy and sell crypto, if the particular coins or tokens are not financial products, then you don't need a license to have that market. Also, if you're offering it through some sort of coin offering, you're giving people tokens or selling them, if they're not financial products, then you don't trigger product disclosure statement rules or all of those other, other um, parts of our disclosure regime. Mm. And custody as well, so if you hold coins or tokens on behalf of someone else, again, that only triggers what we call our client money or property service rules if there, there is actually a financial product somewhere in the mix. So you're holding a financial product or a, receiving money in order to buy a financial product. So all of those rules really turn on a close review of those sort of definitions. And that's, as lawyers, what we've done for our clients in the crypto space, mm. whether they're people wanting to run exchanges or people wanting to sort of help people interact with digital assets. And also in the NFT space, so mm. getting out of the financial side of digital assets, we still have to stop and think, because NFTs, even if it might be a representation of an artwork, mm. 
they are treated as investments uh, often by people. So they are traded on secondary markets. Mm. So they do look a bit like financial products. And if you were um, creating a marketplace to buy digital art, then you would have to stop and think about whether the nature of your NFTs brought you within one of those financial product definitions. And it might do so if, for example, the NFTs carried some sort of right to share in the in the actual management activities of, of a third party. Mm. And so it was really sort of sharing in a business or some sort of mm. proper investment proposition that pays you a return. So when we look at tokens, there will be some that could fall within those financial product definitions. So mm. if it was treated as an investment in the business or paid a revenue share or something like that, that's when we would start to get a bit concerned that you might be um, close to or over the line, which is not the end of the world, but that's where you would fall into regulation. Okay, Jeremy, that was awesome. You talked about financial products. What about financial services? That's right, Tom. We do distinguish between actual offers of financial products, but there are also other categories of financial services which could bring you into regulation. And in fact, that's probably the most important set of rules if you're engaged as some sort of digital asset services business. Mm. So there is a long list of services that can be provided that will bring you within what we call the financial service provider regime, Mm. for example. And that can require you to register, and that's a fairly straightforward online process. You pay some annual levies. If you provide that financial service to retail clients in New Zealand, you need to join a dispute scheme, an independent dispute scheme. And the types of services that might be caught within that generally fall under the headings of a money or value transfer service or issuing or managing means of payment. So, for example, if you're issuing tokens which can be used to buy stuff or unlock services, then you might at least need to consider whether you're providing that sort of service. If you're providing a marketplace where you enable people to buy and sell NFTs, for example, that could still fall fall within the definition of a value transfer service because you're allowing people to transfer value from one person to another. And why that's important generally goes back to the the next regime which is relevant, which is the anti-money laundering and countering financing of terrorism regime, AML-CFT, or as they call it in Australia, anti-money laundering and countering the terrorist financing, or AML-CTF. Same thing, different order of letters. If you're caught by one of these regimes, that's relatively straightforward to comply with in terms of registration. AML can be a bit trickier because obviously, as anyone who's opened a bank account or signed up to an investment product knows, that's when you have to ask for uh, customer identification information and go through a process of checking and verifying names, addresses, uh, people politically exposed, persons, suspicious activity reporting. It's all good stuff, but it can be a barrier to entry if you're just simply trying to onboard customers. If you're in that regime, it's also worth checking whether there are exemptions that could apply, which might make it easier for you to comply with that. But that is certainly another area that we spend a lot of time on for these digital asset businesses. What other regimes might be relevant to this area? And do the general requirements around making representations also apply? Although we're not in this area often talking about strictly the financial services regime of licenses from the FMA or otherwise, Mm. you're still 
providing often, as I've said, a financial service. And that brings you within part two of the Financial Markets Conduct Act, which is what we call fair dealing. Mm -hmm. And even if you were not providing a financial service, you would be within the same set of similar rules that are, exist in the Fair Trading Act and to some degree Consumer Guarantees Act. Mm. So these are rules about not being misleading or deceptive or not making unsubstantiated representations. Yep. So in the digital asset space, even where we fall outside some of those stricter financial services regimes, the Financial Markets Authority, FMA in particular, will obviously be watching carefully to ensure that customers are protected, mm. that you're not out there sort of mis-selling a product, describing it as something that it isn't, that you're not underselling the risks. So it's really all about making sure people are looked after and they understand what they're getting into. So how we deal with that? We, we look at the nature of the product and we encourage our clients to be really proactive in how they describe the product to investors. We often use things like voluntary uh, risk warning statements, particularly with crypto where there are things that can clearly go wrong. Mm. And often those risks are technology risks or risks of hacks and exploits, which are not the things that are generally covered in what financial products have to disclose anyway. Mm. So it's more important to just think through what can go wrong, what do customers need to know, and then get it out there. And that's you know, often how we will encourage people to go ahead. Clearly, this is a very innovative area. What is your suggestion for New Zealand businesses wanting to deal in digital assets to ensure that they can take the advantage of the benefits of those assets without falling foul of existing regulations? Without it sounding too much like a plug, but it absolutely is, <laughs> uh, get legal advice. Um, who would you recommend, Jeremy? Who would you recommend? Uh, there's this great law firm, <laughs> Min Min Minter, Minter Allison Rudwatts. No, whoever you talk to, you just need to find someone who understands this area mm. and can also both tell you what you need to do and to some extent advocate and explain things to the regulators as well, mm. who although they deal with this stuff occasionally, they sometimes need to be you know, helped along by experts in the field. Having said that, there are some other resources that are available. There's a great deal of information available online now through industry bodies. So FinTech NZ and more specifically Blockchain NZ, parts of the New Zealand Tech Alliance, have a lot of information. I should disclose that I'm on the executive of Blockchain NZ. That body does a lot of education, has events, podcasts, really puts a lot of information out there as well as advocating for industry to ensure we get clear rules and uh, ways of helping people understand what they're doing. Mm -hmm. There is also a, a government um, path through the different regulators because often you'll trigger the interest of not just the Financial Markets Authority, but if you're doing AML for digital asset or virtual asset service providers, often called VASPs, V-A-S-P, VASPs, that's generally regulated or falls under the supervision of the Department of Internal Affairs for AML-CFT purposes, so they are relevant as well. Obviously, people like the Reserve Bank are relevant if you're doing something which maybe generates a yield or looks like a deposit, like a bank, and um, the Commerce Commission could be relevant depending on how you're selling or if something looks like credit. Mm. Now, one way to sort of work your way through that thicket is there is a website, fintech.govt.nz, 
which allows you to basically submit a proposal about what you're thinking of doing um, and the FMA as lead coordinator will bring together a group of those regulators in a room or on a, a Zoom call or Teams call to talk about your product and maybe give you some feedback. Now, what they won't do in that process, though, is give you legal advice, and they will make that very clear. Mm. So the expectation that they have is that you've really done your homework, that you've, you've sought legal advice. So really, you can just talk about any issues or points that where the, the treatment might be unclear or otherwise. And we, we generally encourage this as a great way to just let the regulators know what you're doing before you launch and market mm. so that they don't just see an announcement, go look at a website mm. and start asking questions about how it works. Mm. So if we can sort of forewarn them what's coming, we can usually sort of untangle a few issues in advance. That's great advice. The other organisation I'll mention is Callaghan. Mm -hmm. So Callaghan Innovation, which is government-led sort of research development innovation body, has a focus on Web3, which is that larger conception of the, the next iteration of the internet, which includes things like crypto, blockchain, NFTs. So they have a, an ongoing project and set of materials on their website, which also includes podcasts and education materials. They run a variety of seminars and are doing work around things like decentralized autonomous organizations or DAOs. Mm. So definitely worth following what they're doing and getting involved where you can. And Blockchain NZ we've touched on as well. Yes, definitely worth checking out the website. Join, become a member if you have that level of interest, mm. and then you'll get access to those materials and be able to contribute to, to the conversation. Great. I mean, lots of obviously lots of materials there, and, and not to, to put too fine a point on it, but obviously it goes without saying you want to go to someone who knows what they're doing, not, as, not someone who is dabbling in the area. So while you plugged uh, for legal advice, I'm plugging for the fact that you are one of the experts in this area, if not to the expert in New Zealand in this area. So there's a plug for our firm and Jeremy right there. Obviously, the government and the regulators will be keeping a very watchful eye on this area if it is as volatile in the future as it is today and there are elements that go up and go down and go crash. Is there the prospect of future direct regulation in this area in New Zealand, do you think? Sure. Um, something's going to happen. What's in progress? So the Finance and Expenditure Select Committee of the New Zealand Parliament held an inquiry, which is technically still ongoing, into cryptocurrencies, which took uh, submissions, both written and oral, about a year to a year and a half ago. For the listeners, this is we're recording this on the 11th of August. Yeah, and uh, I am one of two special advisors appointed to the committee, so independent of the industry, but advising the, the politicians effectively in how they respond to the submissions received. The other advisor is academic Alex Sims, mm -hmm. who's well known in the blockchain space as well. Mm -hmm. So just to flag, we, we've written a report which was submitted to the committee a little while back. The committee's been considering what to do about that. And hopefully, perhaps by the time you, you listen to this podcast, depending on when you, when you click in, um, that report will be published along with the, the committee's views on what next steps should be. So these, these processes are underway, and that may lead to further work. Um, regulators, ministries, so the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, and other associated ministries have already been thinking hard about this. 
The Reserve Bank of New Zealand has also been looking closely at this. They have an ongoing project in relation to the future of money, where they've been looking at the, the future for cash mm -hmm. and electronic money. Mm -hmm. As part of that, they've begun design work on a CBDC or central bank digital currency. So that's definitely worth monitoring for progress. There is a, a ton of work being done in this space uh, internationally. Uh, a week or so ago, I was in Sydney for a digital assets conference pulled together by a group called Blockchain Asia Pacific um, over there. Mm -hmm. And lots of people were meeting, including Australian government officials, regulators, uh, talking about their response for their industry, global bodies, um, from the OECD to specific securities bodies have been looking at this space. Everyone is developing new rules. I think the issue for New Zealand is how much we invest at this point in specific or bespoke legislation or rules for what's a relatively small industry. Mm. We don't want to overwhelm it with rules. We want to allow and encourage innovation while ensuring that people are protected from scams uh, bubbles and all of that sort of rampant speculation which sort of mm. sits alongside this area. So, you know, keep a watchful eye. There is definitely stuff happening. We'll, we'll be trying to keep the market informed. We publish a lot of updates and things like that. So drop us a line if you want to get on any of those lists. And just for those listening as well, click into the show notes uh, and if the report has been issued, we'll obviously create the link to the select committee inquiry in our show notes. Well, Jeremy, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much again for taking us through what businesses should consider when wanting to interact with digital assets. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please remember to rate, review or follow the Tech Suite wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe to receive technology insights directly in your inbox via our website at minterallison.co.nz.